0: Welcome to episode 78. Who here has had a colonoscopy? Maybe you've had a family member, friends, or patients who have gone through the process? Colonoscopies are performed in a hospital and involve a long, flexible tube with a camera on the end being inserted into the rectum, allowing a doctor to view the lining of the entire colon. This procedure may be ordered by your doctor to investigate symptoms like bleeding, chronic diarrhea, constipation, or maybe to screen for colon cancer. The reality is nobody looks forward to the experience. You can imagine the disappointment when someone receives an unwanted diagnosis or when they find out there's no explanation for their symptoms. What are they supposed to do now? Recently, I received this message. Hi, Mel. I'm a nurse working in a colonoscopy clinic. I've had a few discussions with the doctors I work with who are somewhat skeptical about the benefits of pelvic floor physiotherapy in the context of prolapse, constipation, and other bowel-related issues. I'm wondering if this is something you're familiar with. These messages make my day. This is exactly what this podcast is meant for. Of course, I followed up with Kirsten who sent this message. She was noticing symptom patterns in the people that came for colonoscopies and many of them were sent home with messages like everything's okay, you need to eat more fiber. She had a feeling the pelvic floor may be a piece of the puzzle. So we sit down in this episode to talk about how the pelvic floor is related to colonoscopies. I hope you enjoy. Now, before we get going, I know many of you listeners are also physiotherapists because you have reached out, curious about recommendations for pelvic health courses, so I want to take time to ensure you know about the Cheerful Academy, created by two highly skilled and experienced physiotherapists. Anakin Chadwick and Trish Gibson have teamed up to offer an online training and mentorship platform for physios looking to feel more capable and confident in their practice their signature offering is the pelvic health fundamentals course it's designed for physios who have taken the internal courses but feel they have some gaps in their knowledge or tend to feel stuck with how to apply what they've learnt once they get into the treatment room the course is designed not to overwhelm you with information but rather to help you get clear and make your next day in clinic easier so if you're looking to build your clinical competence and confidence in pelvic health then this is something I would recommend. The next cohort kicks off in January 2024. Follow the link in the show notes to take advantage of $150 off before December 15th. So I'm really excited to have Kirsten with us today so that we can talk through some of this. And I'm so excited when she reached out because this is exactly why I started this podcast is so that Um, we could learn together. I can't tell you how many times people come in and say, our healthcare system is so siloed. Like I get this from one person, I get this from another person. And I think this is like the perfect interaction here. We can learn from one another. And in the meantime, help our patients or clients. Kirsten, will you start off by telling um, the listeners a little bit about yourself and how do you even know the term pelvic floor?
1: Um, Well, I am a registered nurse for 12 and a half years now. Um, and I've worked in a variety of settings. I've worked in the emergency department. I've worked in ambulatory care. I've worked in now a colonoscopy clinic. Um, and that crosses over with the fact that I am also a mom of two young children. They're five and seven. After my seven-year-old, my first was born, I was diagnosed with a um, pelvic floor or a pelvic prolapse, a cystocele and a um, mild uterine prolapse, and um, as well as some pelvic floor dysfunction kind of just in general associated with that. So that led me to seek out a pelvic floor physio on my own, just kind of trying to figure out what was going on with me. Um And then when I realized how beneficial it was to me and how little information there was out available for women in my situation, I was very athletic. I was doing heavy weightlifting. I was doing running before I got pregnant. And then I didn't, there wasn't lots of readily available information for me to transition from that identity into, um, a mom with pelvic floor dysfunction, trying to get back into that type of, um, lifestyle. So that kind of piqued my interest. And um, I started digging into it further. And that led me down the road of getting my personal training certification, it was kind of something that I had thought about all my life. And then this kind of pushed me further, I saw a niche that um, lean into that was really meaningful to me. Um, So I got my my personal training certification and I furthered that into a couple of pelvic floor and women's health postpartum fitness certifications in addition to that. And I worked in that field for three years. I ran classes, I had one-on-one clients and just really honed in my knowledge on pelvic floor everything. And honestly, I would probably still be doing that if it wasn't for the fact that we moved provinces and and that was just one of the things that had to get let go in the in the process. Um, but it's still something that I'm really passionate about and that I find kind of comes up in my day-to-day life as a nurse. Um, and it's just this little piece of knowledge that I have that I find a lot of my colleagues don't have. Um, so I would... I thought about bringing that into my practice here now. And that's what led me to reach out to you.
0: So tell me, can you describe then like your work setting right now, not only just for, you know, kind of clients or patients that are listening, but also to like other healthcare providers. Like you, you said you work in a colonoscopy clinic, but can you describe like the type of people that come to see you and um, what makes you associate them with the pelvic floor?
1: Uh, We, our clinic serves a pretty wide area. So we kind of see everybody across the age spectrum, um, basically as young as 14 up to 94. um, So, and both, sexes, um, all various concerns. And my role, I kind of work in every area of the clinic. So I work in the pre-admission where we get all your health history. I work in the actual colonoscopy suite itself. I work in the recovery area. So I'm doing a lot of education with all of these patients that are coming through. Um, And there's kind of two cohorts within that that led me to kind of reach out more to the pelvic floor physio. One is the kind of... um, IBD, IBS, so your um, inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome type of patients that have a lot of these kind of symptoms that kind of cross over between the actual bowel concern itself and then the pelvic floor and the um, functionality of that. And then there's also the kind of older woman population or even kind of middle age population where they are having these kind of functional bowel issues where they're having incomplete emptying, increased constipation, feeling of fullness, feeling of something down there that just doesn't feel right when they have a bowel movement, feeling like they need to have a bowel movement and nothing happens. And then um, doctors just kind of saying, well, just take more fiber and hope it gets better. And I'm like, there's gotta be more that we can do for these people rather than just take some Metamucil and hope that you're gonna be better. And I knew based on my history that pelvic floor physio probably has some things that we can do to help these, these patients.
0: Yeah. And so would you say that sometimes what's happening is people are coming to see your clinic, obviously maybe referred from their family doctor or what have you, Mm -hmm. they're investigating why this person's having a problem. And would you say sometimes you know, the the scope doesn't really show anything medical. Is that what you're finding? And then these people have no hope, like, oh, shoot, I was hoping on a day, di- I was hoping I'd have a diagnosis. Now I have nothing to like work towards. Are you are you kind of finding that that's like, oh, shoot, now we don't find anything. Now, what am I supposed to tell these people?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people come into a colonoscopy thinking it's going to be the holy grail, and it's going to give them all the answers that they're looking for. Um, when really, All we can see is what does the lining of the colon look like? We can't see the function of the colon. We can't see the function of the pelvic floor muscles. We can't see um, how fast or slow or how well the stool is moving through the colon. So it doesn't really help. And if it's a functional issue, um, us to diagnose that. Um, unless we see like a big, massive cancerous tumor or something like that, that's physically blocking the colon. Yes, that's going to give us a definitive diagnosis, but obviously that's not what everybody's hoping to get out of a colonoscopy. Um, And then a lot of these doctors, a lot of them are surgeons. We have uh, mostly surgeons, but also one gastroenterologist. And none of them are very um, well-versed in managing the functional movement of the stool through the colon besides suggesting you drink more water eat more fiber because that's just not their specialty and that's not a fault in their training by any means it's just not what they're meant to do they're meant to find physical problems with your colon and either cut them out or treat them with medication they're not they're not pelvic floor physio so they don't know how to treat that and so um that's kind of where i'm like let's bring these two things together to help these people and come up with a way that we can give these people some hope when we don't find anything in the, in the scope, which usually is a good thing because we're not finding cancer. So that's good. But when you're left thinking, well, okay, I still have symptoms, but you're not giving me any concrete way to fix them. Let's bridge that gap so that we can give these people a next step.
0: I love it. And I can't help but think like picturing the people listening to this and thinking like physio for my, for my colonoscopy appointment. Like that makes, I don't understand how this fits in. And I always try to parallel something that makes more sense to people. Cause I don't think we're used to associating physio with our private parts or our digestive system, but I try to parallel something like a knee surgery or a knee pain. So let's say someone has knee pain. They don't know themselves what the problem is. They go to their family doctor, perhaps Um, the family doctor, probably wouldn't send them straight to a surgeon right away that's just not how we do with deal with musculoskeletal issues usually it's I want you to try a couple things, but maybe you should go see like a musculoskeletal expert, like a physiotherapist or a massage therapist or something like that. Let's see what, um, what they say because they're more muscular movement specialists. And then obviously as physios, we know what's in our scope of practice. If and I feel like I don't have enough in my toolbox to help you get better, I might say, do you know what? I think you should see a surgeon because I've taken you as far as I can. Maybe you need to talk to your family doctor and ask for a surgeon." referral but then when you go to see the orthopedic surgeon they're not movement specialists if they decide to do a surgery they have learned in their training the physio does that they don't exactly know which exercises to do that like you said that's not their forte i think sometimes in this um other world, like the private parts world, we assume doctors have to do everything. And I don't think that's fair to assume that they know everything because that it's, they don't learn about the muscles. They don't necessarily (laughs) learn about nutrition. And so I think we're dumping everything on them and we're putting, we're, what we do in the private parts world is I think we send, we have an issue. We go to family doctor, family doctor sends straight off to specialist. Um, specialist has certain tools, right? Like you said, they're surgeons or, um, you know, and if it's not a surgical issue, then sometimes it's like, well, geez, I don't know what to do, but we've gone too far down the spectrum. And so, um, and then I think they just don't understand. There's not enough education right now to understand how do you physios actually fit into this? But I think what you're mentioning is from your own personal experience, you've learned how much muscles are related to our private parts. And um, so I wonder if I just really quickly start by how I explain this to patients when when they a lot of them stumble in quite often. They're not referred by the specialist. So let's say after they've seen something like been to the colonoscopy clinic, and let's say someone like you says, go check out a physio. Okay. And probably very skeptically, they make it, make their way to me. So like, this sounds so hokey. Oh my gosh. I have to try something. I'm willing to try anything. So they come to me and I'll, I'll tell you, like, first of all, I ask a lot of questions what I'm going to keep saying I and I'm, and other physios would do something similar, but all I can do is speak to my own practice. I ask a lot of questions because I always say that the person in front of me is a person, not just a pelvic floor, not just someone that has diarrhea or constipation. But I ask a lot of questions trying to figure out what does this person's life look like? Because there's usually a lot going on to explain their symptoms. And so I'll send them home with a really lengthy form asking about things like, Tell me about your peeing, your pooing, your sex. Like, what does it hurt to have sex? Do you have pleasure when you have sex? Is it too dry to have sex? Um, Do you, do you, can you hold in your pee? Can you let out your pee? Does it hurt to have pee? Do you pee all the time? Do you not pee enough? Um, what are your poops like? Do you poop every day? Do you poop every three days? Is it hard to pass a poop? Is it hard to hold in a poop? Um, what does your life look like? Um, do you have kids? Are you retired? Have you recently divorced? Um, tell me about stress for you. Tell me about what types of activity you do. Is there What's your job? What are you doing repetitively? Uh, because just like if this was your knee, I need to know what your life looks like. Like, are you in a wheelchair or are you an elite soccer player? Um, are you, is your pain tied to, um, some sort of trauma in the past? Is it happening after a long time? Is it happening right away? But that I really would have a hard time deciphering why you have knee pain if I don't know what your life looks like. So overall, I'm first going to take a pretty extensive history to try to, I probably have a pretty good idea of what's going on before I even touch someone. So just based on what they say, um, And then I spend a lot of time just helping them picture what the pelvic floor looks like and how it's related to their symptoms because the pelvic floor is extremely mysterious, right? Everybody kind of knows their knee. They can see their knee. The pelvic floor comes with with a lot of mystery and a lot of taboo um, embarrassment, um, you know, and people just can't even picture it. But it's essentially a bowl of muscles that makes up our undercarriage. I picture it like a trampoline. So our pelvis is a bony structure and at the very front of the pelvis is like our pubic bone. Okay. Um, At the very back is our tailbone and then out to the sides are the sit bones. So it's almost like a diamond that we sit on if we're sitting upright. The pelvic floor is a series of, of almost like rubber bands or elastic bands that that connect all of those bones. And depending on how you count them, there's upwards of 18 muscles or 18 rubber bands in the pelvic floor that that almost weave together like a basket. So So they've They've got lots of different attachments, some of them that go front to back, some of them more side to side, some of them a bit more of on an angle, but they all do different things to help support our organs. Some of the muscles are circular in nature, kind of like the muscles around the opening of our mouth or our eyes, and they they make up the openings to our organs, like the anus or the vagina or urethra in a female, and also two circular muscles around the penis in a male. And we have in, in a female pelvis, I picture the organs similar to like toilet paper rolls. Like, you know, when your toilet paper roll, your toilet paper roll rolls gone and you're just left with that kind of Brown squishy tube. That's how I picture our organs. And I show like a female that your bladder is squishy like this, your vagina is squishy like this, and your rectum is squishy like this. And they all are in, if you're standing up there in a line, so bladder at the front, vagina right behind, rectum right behind. And in a male, I just show them how like their rectum is very similar, but I show them how their bladder and their, like how the shaft of the penis is similar to the labia of a female, just so to orient them. And 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 then then wheels that start turning in their brain, as soon as they see it, they're like, oh my God, already sometimes that helps them understand that their pelvic floor is almost like a valve. Um, I think of it like a valve that closes and opens that toilet paper roll so that they can see when they poo, a poo moves down my rectum and needs to come out the valve or um, my pee needs to come out a valve or I need to close valves to hold something in. And sometimes as soon as they see that, they're like, oh my God, I understand. When I sit on the toilet, I don't open my valve. I close my valve. Or uh, sometimes we just need to be able to picture it. (laughs) Um, Is that something that you find that you're clinic does like are there are there images or pictures to help people see their anatomy
1: of the colon yes (laughs) um but i if i think about it i don't think i've ever seen any pictures anywhere that showed the anatomy of like the pelvic organs and how they exit the body um and especially for those people who have those functional concerns, like I was ch- saying earlier, I feel like that would be beneficial, but um, it's just something that's not really addressed. And um, yeah, I think being able to even just have that with someone like you to be able to explain that whole system kind of outlined and then um, connect that with their symptoms would be so beneficial for a lot of these people that, I, that come in and have these functional concerns
0: and that is the absolute first thing I do and I think like maybe as we go through I know that you had some specific questions and I think if we go through that and talk through what how would I even look at this as a physio what considerations would I have why don't you go ahead read off one of the questions that you had regarding some of the patients you see
1: okay Um, one of the things I was wondering about is how pelvic floor physio can help with people with stool incontinence, like not feeling like they can hold in a stool when when it's there.
0: Yeah. And I think, so One of the other, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you actually really quickly, because I know part of that other question when you sent it to me was like, or inadequate emptying. So kind of like, how do I either let it, I'm having an issue either letting it out or holding it in. And I wonder if I just really quickly start with like inadequate emptying. So because they kind of can go together. Um, So again, the first thing if someone came in and said to me, and they're always very embarrassed to say, Oh, my gosh, I'm here because I can't let my poop out or my poop doesn't all come out. And maybe I'm smearing a bit on my underwear or something like that. I'll say that the first thing I always do is normalize that like that's, um, we will always say, Oh, do you know what, I listen to this all day, um, you know, and help them realize like, you're normal, it doesn't mean your body's broken. But let me just show you what this all looks like. So you can understand it's, you know, why it might be happening. But the first question, and I, a lot of this, again, I've gathered from their intake form, or some of the things they've said when it's happening. But my first thought would be, I wonder if this is a consistency issue or a mechanical issue. So if they're having a hard time getting everything out, I'm, I'm always asking first, like, who have you been to? Who have you seen? Because I would know someone like your clinic has ruled out anything like sinister. So I'm first always wanting to know what has this person done so far? Right. But then I'd want to know like, okay, tell me what you're passing. Like show me on say example, the Bristol stool chart or something like that. What are you trying to pass? Because is it just too big and hard and lumpy? Um, have you always been constipated? Are you seeing anyone about constipation? Are you taking anything? Right. And that might've come from your clinic, but that would be one of the first things I want to know. Is this a consistency issue or is it a mechanical issue? Right. Because then I'm trying to picture what are all the things that could be holding up this poo. And one of the first things I might think about is, um, the, the outlet tension. So the, the valve or the pelvic floor closes it's called the external anal sphincter. It's a round circular muscle that I show them on the pelvic floor model and they're like, oh my gosh, that's just literally like a little buttonhole. And if that buttonhole is too tight, obviously my poo can't come out very well. So I'm curious to know things like, does it hurt to poo? Do you have blood on your toilet paper? Do you have hemorrhoids? Because that would give me an idea there's too much outlet closure pressure. They're having a hard time letting go. Um um, I might might find that there's um you know if you picture that tube of the rectum that like the toilet paper roll, I might also be wondering if it's a female like do they have a bit of a rectocele which is kind of a softening in the wall of the the back wall of their vagina. Whether that's from chronic constipation or childbirth or, you know, different things can cause that but are they having an issue with their stool having a hard time getting down the chute, and it's kind of getting drawn into the wall of the vagina, um, you know, I I might be one wondering if that's happening. Sometimes they have too much tension in one of the internal muscles of their pelvic floor. It's called the puborectalis. And it's like a lasso that wraps from the front of the pelvic bone around the rectum. And if that muscle is too tight, then it's almost like there's, um, a closure or um, the clamp is being closed on a hose so the poop can't get out that way. And then that might cause a rectocele or might cause, but it's hard to know just from the symptom. It d- would depend on the person and what other things they present with. But it's amazing how many things can cause tight muscles Sometimes it's something like I have tailbone pain. So because the, the muscles of the tailbone are attached to the anus, maybe they're clenching their tailbone all the time, which is closing the anus. Maybe they stand in a way or sit in a way they're always tucking their tail, which closes the anus. Um, there's a, It's amazing how many people think they are supposed to hold their pelvic floor tight all the time. Like when I when I explain it to them, And I I show them what it feels like to let go of their pelvic floor. The number of them that say, I don't think I ever let this go. Like, I guess I just thought that I was supposed to hold it in or my organs would fall out or my poop or pee would fall out. And so they're just like, are you serious? I've gone this many years and I didn't know that I can just let those be. Sometimes it's a very simple fix. It can be something like um, someone holding for a long time, like um, they're always holding because they maybe they're a germaphobe and they don't like going in a public toilet. Maybe they, um, you know, they're a nurse and they can't go to the bathroom when they want to. So they're used to holding it back all the time that can make some of the pelvic floor muscles too thick. Just like if you lift a lot of weights, you get big bulky muscles. If you're constantly holding pee and poo, you bulk up your pelvic floor muscles, sometimes too much, and it's harder to pass something. Sometimes they're holding their tummy all the time and you hold your tummy muscles all the time. You're going to get a downstream effect of too much pelvic floor tension. So I could, you could see, honestly, I could talk about this for days. There's so many reasons why people can develop a habit of having a hard time letting something out. And it's such a, the pelvic floor is such a reflexive group of muscles. You don't necessarily even recognize what you're doing, but it becomes a habitual thing um and then a lot of times that issue with holding it in or the incontinence can be from too much tension tension always fatigues right if you hold any muscle too tight for various reasons eventually it can just say you know what i'm done i i i cannot hold in this fart i cannot hold in this poo i'm done and and so it it's quite often people think it's from pelvic floor weakness or sloppiness of the pelvic floor but most often it's more from a tension that is fatiguing. And again, if they were incontinent, I'd be thinking of, is this a fatigue issue, a mechanical issue of the pelvic floor, or is this a consistency issue? Why do they have diarrhea? Um, you know, is this something that I would think of a dietitian or a nutritionist to help me out with, or I might just talk with them, what are you eating? And is anyone talking to you about this? Or why do you think you have diarrhea? And like, I, I, um, always I'm going to have a conversation with people like what's going on in your life is this like is this a stress issue is the tension from stress is the stool issue like an irritable bowel or a stool consistency issue from stress what's going on in your life so like I said I could talk about this for days and and I don't even know until I meet the person why they have that symptom Yeah. yeah
1: Yeah, I know. Even as you're talking, I'm thinking of like a million different things that I could add, but we could just go on for hours and hours and hours. If I, I know, um, yeah. One thing I was thinking about when you were saying that is um, the like the tension issue. I find that's a lot of a concern too. It even becomes a concern with the colonoscopy too, where people are too tense and we can't even get the scope in, or that becomes part of the reason why they have pain with the colonoscopy is they don't know how to relax their abdominal and pelvic floor muscles. So learning how to relax those muscles and what it feels like to relax is imperative in order to be able to have the functionality that you need. And one thing that I noticed um, is like, the muscles are like the rubber band, right? And if you hold that rubber band taut, you have no um, responsiveness in that rubber band. So yeah, of course, when you hold it taut, you're not going to be able to respond when you have a stool or a fart or a diarrhea come through. And it's just going to kind of happen. Whereas if it's um, you have more movement within that muscle that's not held completely taut, then you can tighten it up when it needs to be tightened up. That was one thing that I kind exactly. of thought there too
0: picture if I said to you Kirsten when you get up in the morning I want you to tighten your arms a little bit all day in case you have to lift something and and then if I said go to the gym at night and do an arm workout like what do you think you'd be strong no and everybody like sometimes I think it's like making parallels to other parts of the body you know or, or if I told you to hold your jaw tight all day how does that work for you like we we for some reason think we have special treatment for these pelvic floor muscles they're actually not that special they have the same properties as other muscles. And there's a huge misconception that all we teach as pelvic floor physios is pelvic floor strengthening exercises, Kegels, that that's all we teach. I would say that like 95% of my day is filled with education about how it works automatically and what might be happening that's kind of glitching that system. Is it a stress yeah. issue? Is it a tendency for holding? Is it something you just didn't understand and you're doing something different than what you thought you should do? Um But yeah, I think that what you hit the nail on the head, it's like, it's all quite often a tension issue. And that's why I pretty well start every single person, no matter what they come in with, is some education and some awareness around what does it feel like to let these muscles go? What does it feel like to hold them? And then usually I send them home practicing that like with mindfulness and awareness around these muscles that you don't normally think about. And then number two is I want you to notice some of your habits. I want you to tell me in the day, what are some of your habits when you sit on the toilet? Do you let go or do you think you tense? When you have stress, do you hold tension? Where do you hold tension in your body? And the number of people that come in and say, wow, I had no idea what I was doing. um, And simply that helps a lot of their symptoms. But yeah, otherwise we're trying to put things in, whether it be during intercourse or tampons or cameras or anything. We're trying to put things into tension, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, I totally agree with everything that you said. It's just like a lot of people, and that's a lot of things with, um, especially IBS, we find is people don't realize the interaction between your bowel as a whole and your pelvic floor and stress and how those two things are completely connected and interwoven and you can't extract one from the other and people want us to just fix their IBS and then they can just carry on living their stressful lives and they don't realize that the stress is directly related to the the tension in your pelvic floor the way your bowel are functioning and that you need to handle that part of your life in order for this part of your life to get better.
0: Absolutely. And I think that it's usually those people can identify that they have stress and that maybe it's affecting their sleep as well, or it's affecting their relationships. And so I try to preface it a little bit more like, I know this feels like something else you have to deal with, but if you think about it, you know, we're actually working with your nervous system here because your pelvic floor just follows your nervous system. And I think you'll notice that working on this one simple thing and learning to kind of de-stress a little bit or feeling what it feels like to let go, I think you'll notice it has a trickle down effect with a lot of the things that you feel like you have problems with in your life. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, And then that kind of brings us on to the next question that I have. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, what specifically can pelvic floor offer to people suffering with constipation? Mm
0: Mm-hmm well so this is something that i would again i would want to know like what does it look like in this person's life and like is constipation new to you is this a pregnancy related thing or is it, have you had this your whole life why do you think you're constipated some people will relate it to their diet so then i'll say i'm I, i'm happy to help you but i think this is something else maybe you need to talk to about a like a dietary specialist let's figure that out um yes um like if it's a pregnancy related thing i would say like talk to your care provider what can you have do you need to be more active like the number of people that just aren't active and understand like there's a huge issue with kids constipation you know that's a huge thing like kids bedwetting kids accidents have to do with constipation so talking about it with parents right away around like activity what are they eating um also too like just helping people understand how the digestive system works and um, you know, the, you'll hear it called like the gastrocolonic reflex or the colonic meal response, but basically that when we um, take in food, it helps kind of move our, the motility of the digestive system. But we also know that even just like thinking about food, smelling food, preparing food, all of that's, sets off that physiological response to some people are just eating out all the time. They don't, maybe they're not preparing meals, smelling meals, having like that salivary response to meals. So even just kind of figuring out some of that stuff, um, I will always talk to them about stress and helping them figure out, like, hey, what are you doing about stress? Because we know the bowel is very, it's very routine based, um, and things like stress and traveling and all of that can really change and make const make constipation worse. So just trying to figure out, like, what are your st- stress what's your stress relief do you have anything because it always starts a bigger conversation like you know what melissa this is actually not the only thing i'm having a problem with like it's never just constipation it's usually something else like you know what i'm realizing this is like a big picture problem and so i'm helping them tie their pelvic floor and their constipation into their whole life like you said um Yeah, again, is this an outlet issue? Like, is there just too much tension in the anus? Do they hold it back all the time? Um, Are they holding their tummy in all the time? I think people don't understand that engaging our abdominals is like putting saran wrap or putting a tourniquet on the digestive system. And our digestive system needs to move. And if we hold tension in our abdomen, we're kind of restricting the movement of the digestive system maybe they've had previous surgeries like a c-section i'll sometimes lift up someone's shirt like can i look at your abdomen and and if they have scars on their abdomen i'm right away wondering like i wonder if there's anything to do with their fascial mobility that's affecting their digestive system um and you know i've taken other courses that relate to visceral fascial mobility but i'm always interested in like do your tissues move well (laughs) right um yeah. and 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 can i help with that again are there maybe certain types of stretches or exercises that they can do to enhance mobility in their abdomen and in their body and again i think just helping them understand like how the digestive system works because i think once they know how it works quite often they can pinpoint what their problem is. Like this is what a normal functioning system is. And these are some of the things that can go awry. What do you think? What do you think? Because you spend more time with you than I do. And quite often they can say, do you know what? I think it's stress. Or I didn't know my anus had to open. I actually think I hold my anus tight all the time. Like, And 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 then it just becomes a little bit more normalized. And and I, t- I honestly tell people quite often, my job, I look at it as trial and error. And we're going to look at all these possible things that could be affecting your constipation. Where do you want to start? And let's just pick through them. And for some people, it's the first thing we picked, it's like, this was a game changer. And others, we really have to be a bit of a detective and try to look at all of that.
1: Yeah. One thing that um, you didn't mention, but it actually, it comes up actually during the colonoscopy process itself is how much your breathing affects the functionality of your colon itself. Um, It's something that I kind of knew abstractly from my training um, when I was doing personal training is how much your breathing affects your function of your whole, um, your core muscles and all of that. But We can actually physically see it when we are doing colonoscopy, how your colon just like completely tightens down and constricts when you're holding your breath and and holding everything as tight as you can. And then as soon as you start taking those nice, big, slow, deep breaths where your diaphragm is going through its full range of motion, the colon opens up, it relaxes, and it allows us to kind of get through. We're going the wrong way, but the stuff can move through the colon the way it's supposed to go. And it just makes sense that that would work in the reverse too. When we're trying to pass something through the colon, it needs to be able to expand and contract so that it can, the peristalsis can push the stool through. But if you're, holding your breath, and you're holding your muscles all as tight as you possibly can, that colon is also as tight as it possibly can be. And then so the stool is going to stay in place longer, the water is going to get absorbed out of it, it's going to get hard and stuck, and you're going to get constipated, and you're not going to have as regular bowel movements as you would like. And you can try and treat that with fiber and Metamucil and restorlax and all the different things. Um, and they may help. But sometimes it's just as simple as not holding your breath
0: mm-hmm. can be
1: one of those pieces that is like the light bulb for your patient, like you said.
0: Exactly. I have an image like that. And I was just thinking about that, thinking like you should show that to people. That is such a powerful way. As soon as they can see that, they often don't believe you till they see it. But I have an image like that that I show people because you cannot talk about the pelvic floor without talking about the diaphragm because the pelvic floor is a a follower. I always say it's pelvic floor stupid. It doesn't have a mind of its own. It is a (laughs) it is a first responder and it's always responding to things above it. For we've already talked about if you hold your abdominals tight, it will tense below because if you think about it, holding our abdominals is like a tourniquet. And if we didn't have the pelvic floor, we'd poop and pee every time we tightened our abdominals so our pelvic floor will always respond to abdominal tension above it it will always respond to the diaphragm and exactly so it's it's almost like a i show people it's like a piston when we breathe in our diaphragm should move down so that our lungs can fill and that pumps our digestive system it kind of pushes down into the digestive system and the pelvic floor down below should kind of lengthen to accept that Southern movement of the digestive system. And you think about how many times we breathe all day in, and, and, kind of like a more relaxed, easy moving breath, how many pumps of the digestive system we get. And, and you mentioned earlier, kind of like it gives a pelvic floor. That's very responsive. Like it's kind of always just moving, going with the flow. It's dynamic Um, Whereas if we're holding that system stiff, whether it be stiffening the pelvic floor, stiffening the abdominals, stiffening the diaphragm, that creates a lot of pressure um, and not as much um, flow of the system. And you always see this, like there's never just a pelvic floor symptom. Usually people with pelvic floor tension will say, I'm stressed. I have an anxiety disorder. I don't breathe. I have neck tension because they're using their neck muscles to breathe and they're not allowing their diaphragm. It's always like kind of like a ball starts rolling and their wheels start turning. Um, But exactly when I send everybody home with that mindfulness exercise at the beginning, I always tie in the pelvic floor because that's why they're coming in. And if I start going straight to the breath, they'll think I'm too crazy or too woo woo, but (laughs) I'm, I'm tying in the breath. I'm asking them when you relax your pelvic floor, take a breath in. When you do a, when you do a Kegel, take a breath out. So I'm tying in their diaphragm, but not necessarily, I want to make sure I meet them where they're at. So I don't sound too woo woo, but you're exactly right. If anything, I'm probably treating the diaphragm more than anything treating the digestive system, but the nervous system, right? And, and because what is pooping? Pooping is parasympathetic, like, like it's rest digest. And, and we, most people are in kind of like a fight or flight response, whether they have pain or they can't poop or they're leaking, that's stressful. And so Mm. generally it kind of feeds more into like a fight or flight response but then they can't poo because our digestive system and our peeing and pooing is parasympathetic. It's just the opposite end of the nervous system. And so it's, it's literally about helping them realize how stress and tension is good sometimes, but not when we want to pee and poop. Um, we want to do the opposite. And most people can't find that feeling in their body. And you're right. It's, like, it's all connected and it gets kind of exciting when you stop, start thinking about it. It's like, wow, we can have such a big effect on people if they just understood how this worked. I had a man the other day, it was more for a peeing issue, but he said, honestly, I'm here because when I go out onto the, my friend's boat, I cannot pee. It's the same as people that can't poo, same type of thing. But basically he, he's got a lot of stress in his life right now. He cannot let go. And so we've been starting, I would start the same thing with people that have pooping issues is really calming down their environment to start with so that we can kind of meet them where they're at. And then I might ask them to turn the lights off. I might ask them to smell something nice. I might ask them to do a bit of a meditation on the toilet. Like we kind of have to figure out like, um, how to get them to let go and then start helping them let go in more of a public setting or at home or yeah, but sometimes we really need to calm it down so that they can feel that. And it's usually tied to their breath. (laughs) That would be an amazing image to have handy somewhere that you can show people because those images are powerful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to envision what kind of image would be helpful with the diaphragm and the colon because it's it, that's one thing that was like quite surprising to me once I started this job in the context of my previous knowledge is like just like you can see it on the scope, on the screen, the colon just like, snapping shut almost because there's nothing in there when we're doing a colonoscopy. So it just collapses on itself when the patient gets really tense and holds their breath and starts bearing down. And um, one thing that people don't realize is when you chronically live in that state where everything is as tense as possible, our bodies will compensate. And Um, that can lead to like further pathology down the line, not only pelvic floor dysfunction with incontinence and things like that, but also internal pathology. One pathology we see all the time is diverticulosis, which most people think of diverticulitis because you don't really hear of it until it's infected and inflamed. That's when you start getting pain and discomfort and all that. But Diverticulosis is these little outpouchings that can develop on the wall of the colon, um, usually as a result of increased pressure or straining um, within the colon. And a lot of that can be kind of tied back to having this tense abdominal wall, holding your breath, not allowing things to kind of move freely. Um, and then there also is a diet component to that as well. But there's stress and exercise and diet and lifestyle factors like alcohol and smoking and all of that. And the handles that we give about diverticulosis take like basically your entire lifestyle into account contributes to this one pathology that a lot of people have and don't really notice. But it can create problems down the line for some people Um, and it can create chronic abdominal pain. It can create um, diverticulitis, like I mentioned, which can progress to um, pretty severe and require hospitalization. Some people even end up getting bowel resections because their diverticulosis gets so severe that their colon gets so stiff that they just can't pass stool through it. And um, so kind of getting on top of these things ahead of the game before you get to that point is really helpful and constipation can be one sign that that might be something you need to consider. the whole system that you want to avoid these kind of long term consequences down the line, because once you get diverticulosis, you can't reverse it. You can just manage it with all of these lifestyle factors.
0: Would you say that you kind of lump things like fissures, like anal fissures and hemorrhoids, kind of into that same bucket in some ways, like they're like a tension issue, like a yeah, risk-
1: absolutely, like yeah, it's basically all comes down to. I mean diverticulosis is more of a whole colon issue. It can be localized to kind of the end of the colon, um, but it's just kind of a a different manifestation of the same as fissures and hemorrhoids and things like that are localized to the anus and the rectum. Um, It's just, it's a pressure problem, right? There's too much pressure where there shouldn't be as much pressure. There's not enough movement where there should be more flexibility um, and, people are just ending up trying to hold things tighter and then that's kind of backfiring when learning how to allow your muscles go to go through the full range of motion which includes the full relaxation is actually going to be of more benefit and I think sometimes people get fearful of that especially after they have a bout or two of incontinence they think oh my god I don't have control I need to maintain control by holding as much tension as I can, because that's the only thing I know how to do in order to control and keep everything in because it's so embarrassing to have incontinence or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's just a pressure issue. really. Yes. And we see that in manifested in yeah, like your hemorrhoids and your diverticulosis. And that. Yeah. And
0: so I find like, because I think we all, well, I have found that I get the farthest with people if I don't try to, I don't try to tell them the problem. I let them come to it on their own terms because this stuff can yeah. feel really um, hard to um notice. And so that's why I, al- I personally always start with this sense of, okay, you don't know your pelvic floor. You don't realize how much control you have, but let me show you. And, and I haven't actually said yet, like as pelvic health physios, we're trained to do internal exams, like the pelvic floor lives inside our pelvis. And in a female, we can access that either through the anus or the vagina. So the vagina is just kind of more at the front of the pelvic floor. The anus is towards the back. But um, in a male, we can only access through the anus. But we can actually do a focused assessment and help you understand your pelvic floor that way. And for some people, they love learning about their body and that doesn't feel embarrassing for other people. That's their worst nightmare. And I think just knowing just because you go to a pelvic health physio doesn't mean you have to have an internal exam you i always ask would this be something you would find helpful in my assessment and my treatment or do you want to leave that for later if not never and so just first of all understanding that but i would always start again with people first realizing how much control they have do you feel what it feels like to soften the muscles and open the valve versus close the muscles or sorry tighten the muscles close the valves okay once they've established that sometimes i'll say in sitting do a poop action. (laughs) And and I'll say, I don't want you to actually poop on my chair, but I want you to do what you do when you poo. Okay. And, and they'll do it and I'll watch them and I'll say, what does it feel like happens at the valves? And they'll be like, Oh my God, they close. Like what I'm doing is making my poop hole close. And they're like, what the heck? And, and so then I might get them to try it a different way. So what happens when we valsalva, or when we close our top valve, which is our, our throat, when we close that valve and create a lot of internal pressure, our pelvic floor is supposed to tighten, right? Because if you think about when you lift heavy weights and you valsalva, you don't want to pee and poop. Our pelvic floor is very sensitive to pressure. And so if you create a lot of internal pressure by closing off your mouth or your nose and and squeezing hard, you can kind of expect you'll get closure Whereas I'll often teach them what it feels like. I say blow out birthday candles. So open your top valve, your mouth, and I want you to gently blow out and and they'll notice, oh, I actually, and I said, I want you to think of your diaphragm directing your poo down. So directing something down to a soft open valve and you can just see, you know, their their light bulbs go off. And I always say there's two ways to pee, poop and have a baby. One, you create lots of pressure to blow past the valves, or two, open the valves. (laughs) And it sounds like you tend to create a lot of pressure, and maybe your hemorrhoids, or your abdominal pain, or your fissures are are because of that. You're forcing something out of that valve all the time. I wonder if we try it the other way. And then I I don't say you have to do it this way, but I usually say, I want you to go home and practice both ways and decide which way you feels better. And, and so it's, it feels like less stress to them, but they start, I just say, go home and play with that. And that can make a huge difference. Just understanding that what you're doing is probably just not the best habit. I heard someone say the other day, Kirsten, like, you know, when you get out of the shower and you dry yourself off, you probably do it the exact same way every time. Like you take your towel. I, I paid attention to it after I read that. I'm like, I do it the exact same every single time. It's a habit. I don't have to do it like that, but it's an absolute habit that my brain has decided to adopt. And it's the same when we pee and poop. We all, we do not all do it the same way. We develop habits and sometimes our habits are not helpful. <laughs> Yeah. yeah,
1: I can totally agree with that. Um, One other thing, I kind of polled my colleagues when I told them that I was going to be doing this, um, this podcast, and because they were really curious, I have one colleague specifically who works quite um, tightly with the GI specialists that we work with. Um, and one thing she was curious to hear from you is um, what your familiarity is working with people with um inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's colitis things like that um and if you are familiar with that if you're able to help with that at all if you have any kind of tools in your toolbox to deal with those kind of issues
0: well if i threw it back on you for just a second and asked you what kinds of things do you feel like um what themes run in those clients or in those patients like um What kind of characteristics or things do you see all the time with those people?
1: Um, So their kind of bowel-related symptoms are typically abdominal pain. They have a lot of um, inflammatory pain in their abdomen. Um, They have sometimes upwards of like 20 bowel movements a day because of just the functionality of their colon. So and often it's diarrhea. Um, And then often, these people also have a very stressful lifestyle. In addition, that kind of contributes to their IBD. Um, We all know that like inflammatory processes, a lot of times are tied with um, Mm -hmm. our stress and lifestyle and our history. So um, there's also that factor as well. So it's more like abdominal pain, diarrhea, stressful lifestyle.
0: Mm -hmm. And so I would always say like, whenever I see someone like this, I'm pretty sure they're being followed by someone medically, just so that, um, like I understand, because I medically don't know how to like comment on things like medications and everything. However, when you say those things pain, okay. So when someone has pain, what does our nervous system or what do our muscles do? Like that's a normal response as we get more tension. And, um, you know, so we've already talked about the Issues with tension that that can cause, and tension's not just going to be in your abdomen; it's going to be in your pelvic floor. It's going to be in your whole body. You're going to be in more fight or flight, and we've talked about kind of what that does. Um, frequency, I, going to the bathroom all the time. I would say again, I would always start by helping people understand what a normal functioning system looks like, so they can help decide how they want to address that. And usually, when you describe, okay, this is what happens when we eat. This is what has to happen. This is what happens. How our breath is related this is how the outlet valves work uh, this is how the pelvic floor works what do you think is your issue and where do you want to start like so that they have some agency in that stress is always i whenever i ask someone this is how i ask it tell me about stress in your life and i say please everybody has stress i have stress you have stress but i'm kind of curious to know at this stage in your life would you consider this kind of you know what this is a good time for me or this is not a good time for me because stress will always influence our muscles. Just like you probably know your neck tension is partially because of your stress. You're here because of your embarrassing private parts muscles. And I want you to know that they are related to stress too. And so just helping them know that their bowel issues are re- and their pain is related to all of that. And so I would never say, okay, there you go. You just have to go home and de-stress. But it, depending yeah. on what, like, do I need to talk to them about what exercise can do? Do I need to help them understand what their breath can do? Like, where where is this person at, and how can I help them? But like, I I I think some of this stuff people are like, are you serious? I have to breathe. I have to meditate. I have to do yoga. It sounds so fluffy, and yeah. I don't think we spend enough time on this stuff in our healthcare system, <laughs> but. You just told me that the majority of those people have stress and pain Mm. and we don't do enough pain education. We don't do enough like discussion around stress. If anything, they go home with a small little handout that says like, here's breathing exercises for stress and we don't explain how, you know, this is for the rest of your life and and stress is normal, but we just have to find a different way to deal with it or to, because it's manifesting in a physical way. right yeah and so we just don't spend enough time on it
1: i also imagine it kind of relates back to what you were saying earlier about habits too i'm sure um if you have a flare-up of your crohn's or colitis and you're going to the bathroom 20 times a day and it's diarrhea and it's painful and all of this you're going to develop some habits around that around your physical movements your your breathing your functionality of your pelvic floor um, that maybe aren't going to translate very well to when you're in remission and your stools are more formed and they're not going to pass the same way as a liquid stool would. And so you're going to have to be mindful about how the the way those muscles work is going to be different when you're passing painful liquid stools from a painful abdomen to a nice, normal formed stool that's not being pushed out violently by a painful abdomen. So. Um, I would, I would expect there to also have to be some work around managing those habitual Exactly. movements in that area as well. I had
0: a man come to see me a few months ago. His his meaningful reason for coming in was my penis hurts, okay? And as we started talking, I actually I actually I don't really remember, but I don't think I even he never even took any clothes off. We talked the whole time, but I showed him what his pelvic floor looks like and how his he has muscles that kind of like encase his penis and showed him what it all looks like and he's like, "Oh my god, do you know what? I have had like I've developed this dairy intolerance i have diarrhea i'm constantly holding my anus otherwise i'm worried i'm gonna leak at work i can see my anus muscles are attached to my penis now that i've got this like dietary thing under control i still hold my penis muscles tight like and that's all i need to to do is explain to him and he's like i got it and he never came back and i think that that's something like yeah um, For people to understand, like, I think a huge barrier, I think sometimes for physicians to refer to physio is it costs money. Uh, There's no job for someone like me in the hospital. Like, I hope this comes one day, but right now there isn't. We work in the private setting. If you have Extended benefits, you, you know, hopefully have some coverage, but a lot of people have to pay out of pocket. And I think people assume they have to come forever. And sometimes I say just go mm. once, <laughs> go once and just go in with an open mind. And I always ask people, what do you want to get out of this? I always give a lot of education and and give them a lot of agency to practice things on their own. And, and sometimes people get so much benefit. They're like, I will pay anything to come to something like this, but then the, sometimes they don't. And so this isn't necessarily something that you have to come to forever. Sometimes people come yeah. once. I feel like if I see people three times, that's a lot. Um, and so, you know, go in with an open mind because you'd be surprised the things that we work with. We do not just tell you to, how to tighten your pelvic floor. Yeah. If anything, I feel like you yeah. never do that. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that was one of the concerns that was brought up by some of the physicians I asked about, um, why don't you ever refer to a PFPT? And they said, well, a lot of our patients just can't afford it. And I don't want to be sending them to spend um, sometimes hundreds of dollars, depending on the practitioner, on something that they don't feel like they get value out of. And so once you kind of know what you're getting in for um, and be it kind of goes both ways, right? Like we need to be primed as the people making the referral to be like, okay, this is the specific thing you need to bring up with the pelvic floor physio um, so that they know what questions to ask to kind of guide you down the right path. Um, but then also we need to know that it exists and the kind of help that they can offer as well.
0: Well, no two is physios. The doing this. <laughs> totally. And no two physios the same. And that's why I would say no matter what community you work in, like make some relationships with some trusted providers because same, if, if I go to a haircut for someone and I do not like how they cut my hair. I can't say all hairdressers suck. Like you you can't say that. You just yeah. have to find someone else and we all have a different personality, work setting, level of experience. You can't paint us all with the same brush. So I think first of all like find relationships totally. in your community with trusted providers. Don't assume they're all the same because you know what? some of them might only be teaching kegels depending on their level of experience. So I think that 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 requires a little bit of digging and if you're a physio listening reach out to the local providers too to help introduce yourself. But um but keeping, so when you say, I hear you, so I'll tell you my sessions cost $140, but I spend almost an hour with people. And I think most times people be like, I will pay for that. (laughs) Um, because like, that's why I charge that much because I spend a lot of time and will make sure. And so that I can provide free resources like this podcast or other things where I will make sure that you're going home with a lot of information and sometimes one appointment is enough. And I think, we're just, we that is our healthcare system sometimes. It's like we decide what people value. We all we can do is suggest it to them, let them know what's about, and maybe suggest this podcast so that they can listen to it and decide for themselves. Cause maybe they want to spend the money and it's up to them if they don't want to, right? Yeah.
1: Maybe they're not sure and they listen to this podcast and go, oh, actually, yeah, maybe that is worth my $140 or whatever it is. Yeah. To check it out.
0: Because they have no idea what they're going to get out of the appointment. And I think sometimes people will listen to this and think like, oh my gosh, I'm willing to pay for that. Yeah. Hmm. And I think just knowing like when people have these symptoms, this affects their quality of life. Like sometimes they're not leaving the home because they're so embarrassed of their symptoms. And so, um, so, you know, this is pretty darn treatable in, and, um, yeah like, you know, what you guys do is amazing, but we all have a different skill set, or we all have different tools in our toolbox. And I think, yeah, sometimes we're quick to say, I can't help you, you're done. This is the end of the line. But I appreciate that you've reached out just to see kind of what the physio perspective is. Mm-hmm. What what have we not covered? Yeah. Is there anything else? Well, honestly, Kirsten, a Very, think-
1: very small portion of it. No, we covered everything that was in my um, little list here. Awesome. And and more.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I look yeah. forward to sharing this with people. I have lots of clients that come in and say, I'm having an upcoming colonoscopy, or I've had one before, and they didn't find anything. So I look forward to sharing this with those um, clients. And I hope that you too find that, you know, some of your some of your fellow staff members or you know some of the specialists or some of your patients benefit from it too and I'm curious to know we should do a follow-up at some point down the road seeing like what has this changed like is there any changes that come from this
1: yeah definitely
0: I, I really appreciate your time. This is something that you are just doing out of the goodness of your heart. I know that you kind of, you reached out because you see this in your practice. This is not something you need to do. And for the record, you are not getting paid for it. You're doing this out of your own time. And so nope. um, good on you. We need more people like you. And that's a wrap. If you enjoyed the show, can I ask you a big favor? Would you do one of three things for me? Number one, leave a review because we could all use a little positive feedback sometimes. Number two, download the episodes, because it helps me see what people are interested in. Or number three, share it with somebody else, because sharing is caring. Catch you next time.